Welcome to Grace, everybody. It's good to see you guys this weekend, and uh, welcome everybody who's uh, joining us online and our live sites and the Montrose building. Thanks for uh, being here as well. It's a great weekend. Uh, Ohio State won its second scrimmage, so we're excited about that. Michigan almost lost to the Doylestown JV team, and so I'm more excited about that. And I think Baker has plans for this afternoon, so it's going to be a a fun weekend as we get into things, and it's fun to be here at Grace. We've been in a a series here in the last few weeks uh, that we've called No Additives, No Preservatives, No Artificial Flavors, and we're talking about some core truths out of Scripture and uh, some core beliefs of Christianity, what we would call some orthodoxy. And we do this every once in a while. We'll kind of stop and dig into something like this for a little bit because of what kind of pops up in front of us, right? So there's always kind of new ideas and new opinions and rehashing of things that show up on our phones or Twitter or something like that. And that's, that can be fine, actually. As some of those new insights are wonderful and helpful and good, but some of them are off base a little bit. And the way that we would learn to kind of discern those or figure out whether we should embrace them or not is by digging back into the Bible and saying, well, what does the Bible actually say about said subject? And then what has Christian orthodoxy been? When, when people from kind of the get-go have read the Bible on its uh, high level and have kind of agreed for a couple thousand years that this is what the Bible means by that, and we would take God's Word and then all of that collective wisdom and say, yeah, that's, that's the core of what we believe Jesus is teaching, what the, we believe is the core of what the Bible says. So when a new idea pops up or a new thought pops up, uh, you take it, you, you know, take a look at it, but then push it back in to what God's Word says and even what orthodoxy is, and that'll help you know whether to accept it or to consider it or even just to to toss it aside. And so from the very beginning, uh, there have been teachers and speakers and thought leaders who have pushed against God's Word. The Bible actually started correcting them before the Bible was finished, right, being written. We looked at that last week in Second John. And so some of these things are really, really ancient, and they get rehashed again and again. Uh, some of them are newer. They're 100, 150 years old, but they're real present in our lives right now. And we looked at some of those, and then some of these ideas are just out of the blue. Somebody made something up and sent a tweet out, and it caught fire. And so all of that we want to consider, and we want to think about, and we want to see what God's Word actually has to say about it. So we put together kind of a list of things that are kind of current for us right now, and we've been looking at this for the last few weeks. We've talked about salvation. What is salvation? Where does it come from? Why do we need it? How do we receive it? Uh, we talked about the Holy Spirit one week. Who is he? How does he interact with us? How does he want us to interact with him? Uh, we talked about the idea of God and man. What's the purpose of God and man? And we asked the question, do we exist for God or, or does God exist for us? It's a big question, an important one. And then last weekend, we, talked, we asked the question, who is Jesus? Or the fancy term would be the doctrine of the incarnation. And we were basically just asking this question, like when Jesus was on the planet, was he here as fully God and fully man, or did he set aside, did he put his deity on layaway while he was on the planet? And we looked at that and said, no, the Bible's pretty clear, very clear, that Jesus was fully God, fully man, and that makes a big, big difference for us when we think of worshiping him and following him as our Lord and Savior. Right? So we've been looking at all those things. Those are all online. 
uh, on the website, on the app. There's podcasts out there. All that stuff is free. You just got to subscribe to it and sign up. And, and it, it they probably would be worth a listen. Uh, if you've never kind of taken a deep dive or had a big conversation about uh, those things, it, that's probably like a good thing because it would be like a foundational piece of your interaction with God, okay? So this weekend, we're going to finish this series up. We're going to start a new series next weekend called Right Here, Right Now. I think that's going to be exciting and fun and creative, and you're going to get a ton out of that. But as we finish up this series this weekend, the last thing that we had on our list was to have a conversation about the idea of healing. Does God still heal People. When you look at the Bible and you see Jesus heal people in the Bible, or even some of the apostles and disciples would heal people in the Bible, is that something that's a part of our life today? And what would it look like? Does it look like the, the TV stuff where you, you kind of send in a, a faith seed and somebody prays over like a, a hanky or something like that and gives it back to you? Does it look like a faith healer? Does it look like a, a thing that we should claim and lock on to, how would we interact with this idea of healing, okay? Now, this becomes a, a big topic, and it's a topic that we're often looking for answers to, because I would venture to say that all of us, at one level or another, have asked God to heal us or to heal somebody that we love, right? And so it, everything from, like, I have a sore throat, God, will you heal me, all the way to I got this devastating diagnosis or my life has altered in a big way or there was this accident or something like that and somebody is in a critical condition, they need help and all of us have done that. It could be an emotional healing, God help me with my anxiety, it could be mental health issues, it could be addictions, it could be bodily things, on and on and on and on. But if you, if you stop for kind of a, a split second and said, and thought about it, you've probably prayed somewhere along the way that someone would be healed or that you would be healed from what's going on. And that is a very common thing. You'll see here in a minute, it's a very appropriate thing to pray for. And then the question is, what should we expect from God when we pray a prayer like that, okay? So it's a fascinating thing. When you talk about healing and you talk about tragedy and you talk about devastating things, uh, it's a fascinating thing, the way that we interact in those things and interact with God about it. I've been a pastor now for uh, over 26 years, and so because of the, the nature of, of what I do, I wind up in these settings a lot, right, where something has happened or a diagnosis has happened or something is critical. And, and someone will call me or call the church and say, we need help. By the way, we love that. I, I want you guys to always remember that. If you're in trouble, call the church. Like, we love that, and we love being by your side. We want to be with you in those things. And so that's happened over the years, countless times for me. And I've been in situations where, where people are processing this and, and going through these hard times. And when I show up in those situations, Two questions come to the surface almost immediately um, in a situation like that. Uh, one question, it will be some version of this question, some version of, hey, Pastor Jeff, where is God right now? Where is God? Like, our life just got blown up. There was just this accident, just kind of whatever that blank is. Like, where is God right now? And when somebody asks me that question, I answer it. 
because that's an easy question to answer. And I'll say to them, well, God's here with us. He's our ever-present help in times of trouble. God is always with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. And if I'm a Christ follower, God is literally in me. The Holy Spirit is with me. And so that's an easy question to answer, right? God is here with us. He knows, he cares, he sympathizes. He wants to go through this hard time with us. The second question that comes out is some version of this. Pastor Jeff, why did this happen to us? Or why did this happen to me? And when somebody asks me that second question, I never answer it. I never answer it. And the reason I never answer the why question is because I don't know. I don't know, right? I don't know why this happened to you. I don't know why you were in the accident. I I don't know why your loved one is in trouble. I don't know why you got the diagnosis. I don't know that the answer to that question. And I, I try to be a straightforward person, so I try to respect people enough to not make up an answer. So I won't give you a platitude or a coffee mug answer, you know, because I, I don't know. And they, they don't satisfy us anyways. If you gave me that answer, it'd just make me mad, right? So I, I don't know why these things happen. I know that God is with us, And what I found over the years is that rarely will God tell us why, what he usually tells us is what. He rarely tells us why, what he usually tells us is what. I remember years ago um, getting a phone call from a, a family and a friend that I love a ton, and her name was Kat. And Kat was in her early 20s, and she got a devastating diagnosis. She got a diagnosis of a terminal cancer in her early 20s, almost untreatable cancer. And so I knew her well, knew her family, and we had kind of been talking about her health a little bit. And when that diagnosis came back, the family called me and said, Pastor Jeff, will you come out to the house? So I left right away and went out to the house to be with them and you get there and the family's around and some friends and there's lots of tears and lots of prayers and lots of kind of shock of what was going on. And so we prayed and we talked and we processed that a little bit. And after we did that and things kind of settled in and people kind of drifted into personal conversations, I found myself sitting next to Kat. And I'm sitting next to Kat and like I said, she and I knew each other pretty well. And so I looked at her and I said, well, Kat, what do you want to do, do with this? And she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, God has allowed you to have cancer. What do you want to do with it? Because, because of your sickness, you have this platform to tell anybody about Christ at any level if you choose to do that. And she, she looked at me and she goes, I never forget, she looked at me, she goes, Pastor Jeff, what are you talking about? I said, Kat, everybody listens to the girl with cancer. Nobody's gonna shut you down. Just pull the cancer card, right? Nobody's gonna shut you down. And if you want to, you have been given a platform by God to speak as boldly and as frequently to anybody that you want to about Christ. You can use this for God's glory in a massive way if you choose to do that. And I'll never forget that a twinkle in her eye, you kind of had to know her a little bit, her twinkle in her eye, she sat up a little bit and she said, I want to do that. 
And I said, well, I, I can help you do that. And the blogs and the websites and the videos. And by the time Kat went to be with Christ, because she passed away, God did not heal her of that cancer. She had affected thousands of people, thousands of people all across the world because she, she took what God allowed her to be a part of and she glorified God through it and she, she brought glory to God through her burden of dealing with sickness, right? I can't tell you why. I, I wouldn't know the answer. I can tell you what, and I'll show you what here in a little bit. But when we look and say, where is God? He's here. Why did this happen? I don't know. What are you going to do with it? Well, let's, let's, let's work on that one, right? And we can use that one in, in big, big ways. Okay, so let me walk you through this. Let, let's start at the beginning, and let's talk about why Jesus healed people, okay? So there's a bunch out there, uh, the internet and all the rest, you see it. And, and you'll see this whole spectrum of God doesn't want anybody to be sick. All sickness is like from a demon kind of a thing all the way over to come to this healing crusade and send in this money and, and, and interact with this guy that has this special healing power kind of a thing. And there's this idea out there that's pretty prominent right now that the teachers of that idea would say this, that if you're a Christ follower, you have the same power that Jesus has, and he had the power to heal, therefore you should heal. Because the highest expression of Christ's love in somebody's life is that he would heal them physically while they're on the planet. And because Jesus did it, you can do it, okay? So let's back up a step and say, okay, well, why did Jesus heal? What was Jesus doing when he was healing people? And what kind of point was he making? If you ask Jesus this question, he answers it in John 10. He, he's out teaching now. Remember, Jesus kind of showed up, and he's like, hey, I'm the promised Messiah. Well, that rattled some cages among religious leaders and even his own disciples. And they were looking and saying, well, I, I hear what you're saying, but I, I mean, you're just saying that. How are we supposed to know, or how do we put confidence in what you're saying. And this is how he answered this question in John 10. He said, don't believe me unless I do the works of my father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. Jesus looked at his disciples and his critics and said, I, I get it that you don't just accept my word for it. But if you don't believe me, look what I'm doing. I am doing miracles. I'm changing water to wine. I'm raising Lazarus from the dead. I'm healing the, the, the people with leprosy. I'm doing all these miraculous things. The lame man's walking, the blind are seeing. You're seeing it happen. These are not arguable things. They're not these undiagnosable pains, but like the guy's never walked and grew up in this village, now he's walking. The guy's never seen and, and now he can see. It's, it's very obvious what I'm doing. And those works are affirming to you that you are not dealing with just another prophet or just another rabbi, but you are dealing with God himself. 
I am doing things that only God can do. When Jesus healed in the scripture, and when he was doing miraculous signs, he was not healing people to illustrate our discipleship. He was healing people to illustrate his divinity. He wasn't saying, look what I'm doing now. You guys go heal people too. He wasn't saying that. What he was saying was, look, I'm different. One of the reasons why we look at Jesus and say, well, he is our Lord and our Savior is because of the supernatural things that he did. He did stuff that only God can do. Because if, if Jesus was making that all up, see, if he was pulling tricks with people, then he's just the next con artist in a long line of con artists. But the, the miracles were so... Uh, definable, right? Lazarus was not just kind of dead. He was so dead that his sister worried that if they opened the tomb, he would smell bad. Everybody knew that what was happening was miraculous, right? So Jesus was healing to show his divinity. He was not healing to illustrate our discipleship. He was letting us know that I am different. So he's either making it up or he's nuts, right? He's just nuts. He's making, this is all playing out in his own brain or it's legit. And his critics saw that it was legit. The Roman government saw that it was legit. The crowd saw that it was legit and the disciples saw that it was legit. It was legit. And so we would look and say, it's his miraculous power that affirms his divinity to us. By the way, the same idea holds true with the apostles and the disciples. They did heal people, but why did they have that kind of unique opportunity that time of history? Because the scripture was not written. So why do we trust John's writings or Paul's writings or Peter's writings? In part because they had a, a supernatural power from Christ, they would say. And it's why we would trust their writings instead of like, you know, Joe wrote something too. We would look and say they had a, they had a special identifier on them and it was in part the miraculous events and the healing that they were, that they were a part of. I was reading a, a, a writer about this this week and he, he gave a great illustration. He said this, he said, imagine that you are gonna meet somebody in an airport that you're gonna pick them up, you never met them before and you were trying to identify them and they said, when I get off the plane, I'm gonna have a big red hat on. So when you see the big red hat, I'm the person you're looking for. He said, then imagine that you go to the airport and when people get off the plane, everybody has a big red hat on. There's no way to know that that person is different if they're all doing the exact same things. Jesus was, was setting himself apart through his power to heal right? And he was illustrating his divinity. Now that's why he healed because he did not heal everybody who came into his presence. He did not hold healing crusades. He would walk past a bunch of people who were blind and lame and sick and broken, heal one guy, whisper in his ear, don't tell anybody and leave. So when he healed people, he was doing that for his own purposes. He was making the points that he knew that he needed to make. He was not setting in place for us an illustration of what we're supposed to be doing as well. He was accomplishing something greater than simply healing. He was illustrating 
uh, who he was and why he was. In fact, a great example of this is actually in the chapter before this in John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, it's another healing incident. And Jesus' disciples are walking around. And uh, the Bible says this, as he went along, he saw a man uh, blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And so the disciples actually asked the type of question that we would ask in our culture. We would look and say, this man has been blind from birth. This guy got ripped off, right? I mean, he, he can't see. He's a blind man in a sighted world he got ripped off. And the, the, some of the theology we're being exposed to today would say, well, well, what happened? If you're not fully healthy, then something's wrong. Because if you had the right faith and the right favor with God, you would never be unhealthy. You would be healed. So he's not. So the disciples are asking the question, why isn't he healthy like the rest of us? What was wrong? Is he being cursed? Did he do something? Did he sin in the womb or something like that, right? Did he do something? Or was it his parents that did something? He's cursed. He's not blessed. The people that God is pleased with are blessed. The people that God is not pleased with are cursed, right? Jesus, why is he cursed? And Jesus leans into that math, so to say, and, and he says this. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happens so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus looks at his disciples. He says, you, you guys are doing bad math on this, right? What if it's not about him being cursed or him being blessed? What if it's about what I want to accomplish, what if it's not about whether he did everything wrong or he did everything right? What if it's about my glory? And there's a bigger picture going on here than what you can get your head around. I wrote this in my notes. I said, your circumstances are not always defined by your behavior. Sometimes you're being invited into a greater purpose than you could ever ask or imagine. Just because your circumstances are bad does not mean that you're being cursed by God or punished by God or abandoned by God. And just because your circumstances are good does not mean those things either. Some of the wealthiest people, most of the wealthiest people on planet Earth do not cry out to the name of Jesus. And the, most of the poorest people on planet Earth don't either. What if it's not about your circumstances? What if it's about God's plan and what God wants to accomplish for his own glory? Now, this is a big deal. Because if I look and say, I'm a man born blind in a sighted world, and, and I have the mindset that it's about what I did or didn't do, then I have to look and say, well, either God cursed me or I did something horrible that I have to correct, and if God, or God abandoned me. So I gotta get God back in, I gotta get his curse off, I gotta get my behavior right, and then I'll be healed? But if I look and say there's a third option, which is God is doing something greater, then I can look and say I'm a man born blind in a sighted world, I haven't been cursed or abandoned, I've been invited by God 
to do something more than I could ever, I would have never known to ask to be born blind. And, and I would have never imagined that God was going to grant me the opportunity to do something greater for him than I could ever do on my own by being born blind. But that blind man is with Christ now. At best, at best, he makes it 100 years, right? So he's with Christ now. He has his sight fully restored now. He now looks down and says, hey, the first 20, 25 years of my life when I was blind, what that light and momentary struggle for me did was lay up for me crowns and glory which are not able to be tarnished or stolen. There are billions, billions of people who understand Christ and understand who he is and his heart more because I was blind for 25 years. And this side of eternity, because I'm like 2,000 years later in eternity, and I'm just getting warmed up. I've been here a couple days. And this side of eternity, I would never cash in billions of people knowing and understanding Jesus Christ just so I could see for another 20 years. It's not about blessing and curse. It's about the glory of God and what he wants to do and how he wants to do it. We asked this question a couple weeks ago. Does God exist for us or do we exist for God? Is the highest aim of God to make our lives go the way that we want our lives to go? Or is the chief aim of humanity to bring honor and glory and fame and worship to Christ? Do we look at God and say, God, you got to deliver on my life? Or do we look at God and say, God, my life is yours. Use it how you will. And what is the mindset that would drive us to say, if you don't make my physical problems go away in this vapor that we call our life, then it must mean this. And Jesus would look and say, that none of that's accurate. You're invited, you're brought into something bigger. And I'm giving you the opportunity to make bank in heaven in ways that you can never do on your own. In your sickness, your brokenness, your struggle actually adds to that opportunity. J.D. Greer, a guy I like a lot, you should read all of his books, he says this, he says, sometimes Christ glorifies himself by helping sick people get well. Sometimes he glorifies himself by helping, helping sick people die well. And then I added, sometimes he glorifies himself by helping sick people live well. Jesus never held a healing crusade. Never. Jesus... Jesus never filmed everything. I mean, if Jesus would have just shown up today, it's said 2,000 years ago, I mean, the media coverage would have been a lot better. He never did it. He usually healed in private. Every once in a while, he did something miraculous in public. There are giants of the faith, the, the most famous of which is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, the man who wrote most of our New Testament, had a physical affirmity. He called it his thorn in the flesh. 
He prayed his whole ministry that God would relieve it. God never did, and then he was martyred. So did Paul not have enough faith? Was Paul cursed by God? Was Paul, you know what Paul said? He said, I'm grateful for this because in my weakness, God is made stronger. My faith is made stronger. Jesus is more on display, right? But never taken away. Because it wasn't there because Paul was bad. It wasn't taken away because Paul was good. Paul had his physical problem because God was glorifying himself through Paul. Paul understands it now, but he didn't understand it fully while on the planet, and God chose never to relieve him of it. The idea that if we do things a certain way or see a certain guide or go through a certain formula, that healing is guaranteed. You'll see that a lot out there in kind of the, the, the Twitter sphere, right? Where people are like, well, you gotta do this, you gotta do that. The, the reason you haven't been healed is this. And there's a bunch of formulas. That idea is a completely false idea. There is only one promise of healing that is formulaic in the New Testament. It's actually in the book of James. It's James chapter five, and it has very strong kind of conditions around it. So James chapter five, verse 13 and following says this, is any one of you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is any, uh, is any among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil. I'll explain that in a minute. Let them call the elders of the church uh, together to pray over them and anoint them with oil. And then he goes on, verse 15, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. This is the only formulaic promise of healing in the Bible. You won't find that, uh, that formula anywhere else in the Bible. If you have enough faith or you sow a seed or give some money or see a guy, that's not in the Bible anywhere, but this is. And what the apostle James is saying is this. There are several accounts in the Bible where God, in an act of love and mercy, which sounds really foreign to us, but not to God, in an act of love and mercy caused someone to be sick in order to bring them to repentance. He caused leprosy or he allowed a curse or he did those kind of things. And what he was doing was he was looking at a person and saying, you're full of pride, you're full of fatal independence, I'm going to allow you or cause you to be sick so that you humble yourself and return to me. Return from your madness, return from leprosy, whatever it is that God did. He would, there's, a, there's a precedent for that all through the scripture. What James is saying is this. If you are sick and the cause of your sickness is sin, that God is allowing the sickness in your life in order to bring humility to you so you return to God. What you should do, if you think that that's the situation, by the way, we do this at Grace Church because it's in the Bible. You should call the elders together. And when the elders get together, what they'll do is they'll walk you through what's going on in your life. Uh, it may just, it may not be this or it may be this, but let's investigate it. 
If there's sin, let's confess that sin. And then we'll anoint you with oil. Anointing with oil is a symbol out of the Old Testament. It's all that it is. It's not magic oil, right? It could just be like veggie oil from Aldi's if you wanted it to be. It's just normal oil, but it's a symbol from the Old Testament of someone being set apart for God. So God would send the prophets in the Old Testament and they would anoint the kings with oil, Saul or David. There's nothing magical about the oil. It was just a symbol that this person is being set aside for holiness again. So James says, yeah, they'll anoint you with oil. They'll symbolically say, God, cleanse me. I want to be used for you again. And if the prayer of forgiveness is given and the sickness is there because God is bringing you to repentance, then that sickness will be relieved because you repented and the the reason for it has been accomplished and you will be healed. That's the only formulaic prayer in the scripture for healing. That if, if it's sin and God is breaking your will, and you yield to him, then he'll heal you. That happened all through the scripture, right? And so beyond that, you won't find a formula in the Bible where if you do this or you pray against that or you give money this way, none of that's in the scripture. And so there is no formula or or magic path that you take that guarantees that you will be healed, right? So... Pastor Jeff, Dr. Bogue, are you saying that you don't believe in miraculous healing? And I am saying to you, I absolutely, without question, believe in miraculous healing, 100%. I've seen it. I've seen it. I, I have been in the hospitals with parents whose kids are on every machine that humanity can think of to put them on, looked at the best doctor in the world, look their parent in the eye and say, we're sorry, your daughter's not gonna make it. You need to think about turning the machines off. There's nothing else we can do. I prayed with those parents. I've heard them pray. I've cried with them. And I've been in that absolutely hopeless situation And that girl started college last week, okay? I've been with families that they got the terminal diagnosis and they're going to the hospital to get the last scan to see if they should even keep the, the chemo up. And they go in for the last scan and they can't find the cancer anymore. It's gone and nobody can explain it. I, I can introduce you to the people right, that 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 has happened to. And when we pray and we ask God and we believe that God is powerful and he does that, I love you doctors, I love you nurses, I come see you all the time, but you don't get any credit for that. Because when you're out of options, God isn't, and God absolutely does miraculous things. I know the children who have been born unbelievably premature, on every machine that, that can be put up where the doctors have said they are not gonna make it. And it's a shock to them that, that that kid just graduated from high school last year, okay? So I absolutely believe that God interacts with us in supernatural ways. 
I've also been in the hospital where all the prayers have been prayed and the doctors have said there is no hope. And I've held the hand of the person as they breathe their last breath on earth and stepped into eternity. I've been the same family that with the same earnestness and the same godliness and the same passion and the same faithfulness, right? I've stood with them as we've had to decide to, to turn the machines off. And it's the same faith and the same hope and the same God. I talked to, I talked to a man last night who after services, he came out because the, the most godly people come to church on Saturday nights. I'm just saying, just to put it in your thing, right? So he's God. So I'm talking to him. He came out. He said, he said, I've been healed. I said, what do you mean? He said, I have struggled with alcohol for 35 years. My life blew up seven weeks ago. I haven't had a drop of alcohol in seven weeks. God healed me from it. I, I can introduce you to that guy. And then I can introduce you to the other guy who's been on the wagon, off the wagon, on the wagon, off the wagon, on the wagon, off the wagon for 35 years. My friend Randy, who did that for his lifetime, I did his funeral. And I'm 100% confident he's with Christ right now. Same faith, same God, same power, God's decision. See? Now, I absolutely, without question, believe that God does miraculous supernatural things. And I absolutely, without question, believe that he does that for his glory, for a greater purpose than I could ever ask or imagine. So what do we do when we're sick we're physically, emotionally, mentally ill. What, what do we do? Well, the Bible would say for the believer that the response should be this. We should pray. We should pray. The scripture's so clear about this. Uh, Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. It is 100% appropriate to go to God in every situation, from the sore throat to the cancer, and ask God. It is 100% appropriate to ask God for healing. It's 100% appropriate to ask God for longer life here on earth. It's 100% appropriate to ask God to do something miraculous. There is absolutely, positively nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's the exact opposite. It is absolutely the right response for a believer. And after we pray, we find ourselves in a position of faith. Faith is choosing to believe what I cannot and will not ever fully understand. Trust that God, your will be done. If you heal, I'm in. If you don't, I'm in. This is what I want, Dad. So what I want. Could you do it for me? But I trust your heart and I trust your mind and I trust your plan, and if you say no, I'm in. See. I, I really believe that the, the key passage to all of this, this passage is the passage, I probably quote this passage more than any other passage. And when I'm uh, counseling or talking or even to myself, I, I say this passage constantly. The key passage in all of this is James chapter one, where James says, consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, a trial of many kind, I call it anything from the trivial to the tragic. 
anything from the sore throat to the, the terminal diagnosis, whatever it is, the Bible says, as a follower of Christ, I'm to consider it pure joy because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That passage is fascinating. Uh, when we translate the Bible into English, we translated it out of the Greek, right? So the Bible uh, uh, was written thousands of years ago in the Greek language, and then for us to read it, it's switched over to English. And what's fascinating, when you read those verses in the Greek, the Greek has a tone to it. And you can, when you're reading, you can, you can discover that tone. English is that way too a little bit. So if I looked at you and I was like, man, I'm going to kill you. That's one tone. If I looked at you, I'm like, I am going to kill you. That's another tone. And we would understand it, right? So when you're looking at this passage in the Greek, it has a tone. And the tone that we would relate it to is this. It's the tone of a coach speaking to an athlete. And the coach saying, count it as joy, this trial that I'm putting on you. The athlete is trying to bench press and the coach puts 10 more pounds on it. Why are you doing this to me? It's already heavy. I don't want it to be heavier. And the coach is saying, listen, you have to let perseverance, you have to push through. You have to let it finish its work so that you're mature and complete, not lacking anything. The coach is looking at the athlete saying, I see more in you than you see in yourself. I see a greater opportunity than you would see in yourself. I see ways that you can serve God, glorify God, impact the planet that you cannot ask, you wouldn't know to ask, and you can't imagine the eternal re return on that investment. But it has to finish its work. If I just bail you out because it's hard, it doesn't finish its work. I will determine, if, it's, if you can't press it, I'll take it off of you. But I know that you can. And it has to finish its work so that you, your opportunity for eternal glory, your opportunity to lay up treasure in heaven, your opportunity to impact the world is greater if you will let this finish its work. Mature and complete, not lacking anything. And then James goes on, he says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Lacks wisdom about what? What do I lack wisdom about? I lack wisdom about how to count it as joy. I didn't ask for this. I don't know how to have cancer. I didn't, I didn't ask for this. I don't know how to, how to navigate a disability that, I, that came unexpectedly and I'm supposed to glorify. I have no idea how to do it. I, didn't, I don't know how to navigate these things. I've never done it before. And God would look at you and say, that's okay, I love you. I'm not upset, I'll help you. I will help you find the path to bring glory to me. I'm not upset by that. I don't expect you to know that. Ask wisdom. I'll give generously without finding fault, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from God. God's like, you can ask me, I'll help you, but when I answer you, when I show you the path, we got to walk the path. It, it can't be one moment 
hey, God is good and he's gonna use this and no matter what, I'm on his team. And the next moment, God abandoned me. I don't even believe him anymore. One moment, you know, I have a good God and things don't have to go right in my life and, and I wanna glorify him no matter what. And the next moment, God's a jerk and I can't believe he did this to me. Look at all that I did for him. James Love said, yeah, we can't, we can't go back and forth. We're either gonna trust him and move in faith or not. And if the answer is not, then you're, you're missing the whole invitation of the trial. That God is giving you something greater than an earthly blessing. Guys, it's a, it's a small view of God a small view of God where we would look and say, the way that God would love me the most is if he made everything in my life go the way that I want it to go. Just make my vapor be what I want it to be. And God would look and say, I got so much more for you. You're in and out, man. 80 years, maybe 100. Oldest guy I ever knew was 104, Right? You're in and out. But if you could just be blind for 25 years and affect billions of people in ways that you would have never even thought or imagined, God doesn't always give us an answer, but he does give us a choice. He doesn't always give us an answer, but he does give us a choice. And the choice is whether I'm gonna trust and follow him, allow him to use me, be eternally minded, set my mind on things above, or I'm gonna demand. You, you have to take away the very thing you gave that would allow me to allow me to sort the most treasure. I just want to feel better. One of my heroes in life is my big brother. And so my, my brother's a lot older than I am. He's 14 years older than I am. And so we, we actually didn't grow up together. He went to college when I was four. And so we, we actually didn't really grow up together. But I always looked up to him because he was so much older. He was, I just thought it was amazing whatever he was doing. I kind of emulated his life. And my, my dad uh, got super sick and disabled when I was 12. So I, I really didn't have a dad to, to watch in those ways. So I would watch my big brother. And he was always heroic to me. He's a pastor. I'm sure that's a big reason why I'm a pastor. Like he made that make sense to me. And I just thought he was the most amazing person ever. I still do. And so I've, he's been on like this pedestal, you know, my, my whole life. Even as an adult, you know, he's kind of been on this pedestal with me. A few years ago, um, he went in for a routine back surgery. And uh, he walked into surgery and he's never walked again. He's gonna be in a wheelchair the rest of his life. So the surgery went bad and some nerves were destroyed and he, he's not able to, to walk again. He'll never walk again. Wheelchair bound the rest of his life. I walked with him through that whole process. He and my sister-in-law didn't get married till late in life so they don't have children. And so I kind of wind up being like the adult son <laughs> in their life in a weird way. And so 
I want to help them, and especially when, in the middle of it, my poor sister-in-law was like, she, she's amazing, by the way, but she was kind of by herself. And so I would go to the hospitals and I would be there in the emergency room. And I have some of you, I have friends. And I'm like, hey, I'm going to call so-and-so. I pull strings for them and things like that and just trying to love and help my brother. And I watched them go through horrific, horrific things. I, I have legitimately never seen a human being in more pain than I've seen my brother in, never. I mean, it was breathtaking <laughs> to, to see it. He told me, he said, that as these nerves died in his legs, he said, Jeff, he said, think, think of holding your leg over an open flame. That's what it feels like inside of my leg. I watched them give him ungodly amounts of pain medicine and narcotics and stuff like that. It didn't even phase his pain. So I'm watching him deal with pain. I'm watching him deal with frustration. I'm watching him go through the process of nobody can answer why this is going on, right? And I'm watching him fight to honor Christ through the middle of it. One of the things that was so painful for him was to lay flat, right? So if you lay flat, it just shifted his, his hip in such a way that it would send him into these pain attacks. And so they had to do all these MRIs on an MRI, you have to lay flat. You have to lay flat for like a half hour. And he had several of these because they're trying to figure this out. And, and the pain would just go through the roof. I would watch him lay on these tables and weep just from agony being there. He had a series of these. And in the middle of probably the most painful thing they could do, his mind went to Christ. He, his MRI tech was so concerned about his pain that she would sit beside him, kind of hold his hand as he was in this machine, so to say. Well, he got to talking to her in the middle of all this. By, by the, the third or fourth time he's in there, he knew her life. He led her to Christ in the middle of an MRI session. She goes to his church now, and God has transformed their family. It's incredible. I was talking to him afterwards because he's disabled. And so I said, I said, hey, I said, what are you, are you thinking about retiring? Because he's older than me, he's like 90, you know. And so I, I'm like, I'm like, so are you, are you thinking about retiring or what are you thinking? Because it's very difficult, right, to, to do this. And I'll never forget, he looked at me one day, he said, Jeff. He goes, Jeff, God never promised me two legs. He said, he said as long as my brain works and my mouth works, I can proclaim Jesus. I don't need to walk. He's in a wheelchair. Now he preaches from a wheelchair. And, and what, what he figured out, ready, is everybody listens to the guy in the wheelchair. So he, he, he has like leveraged this for the kingdom. Like he'll roll into something. He rolled into the public school in the neighborhood. They just open the door because he's in a wheelchair. Like, yeah, come on in, stranger. And so he, he just rolled into the public school, met the principal, has been praying with the principal, has been praying with the staff. Their church just had a big deal to help raise money because a lot of kids have anxiety in the middle school. To nobody can, and he is using this. Everybody listens to the guy in the wheelchair. This is a man who has traveled the world literally preaching for 30 years. He's known all over the world. He'll never be on an airplane again. Active person. He'll never be active again. 
lots of dreams that have had to die, lots of hopes that have had to be released, lots of pain, lots of frustration, lots of life transition, lots of money. I, I had no idea how expensive it is to be disabled. Un, unbelievable. So all the insecurity that comes with that. And he would look and say, man, one of the greatest platforms I've ever had to share Jesus is this wheelchair. My brother's pedestal, like, <laughs> because he's looking and saying, God's not punishing me. He's not punishing me. I didn't do anything. He's not correcting me. He has a better plan. I wouldn't have, I was never like, you know what, I should go into a wheelchair. He's like, I, I would have never asked for it. I would have thought of my disability as limiting and even breaking my ministry. I would have never have imagined that it would have enhanced it. And it, it's a pain. But it's light and momentary. And I'm laying up for myself treasures. And I'm gonna look back and maybe it's this MRI tech and maybe her kids, maybe her grandkids, maybe her grandkids' grandkids. I'm gonna look back and say, I would take that hit all over again because of what God has done. God doesn't usually give us an answer, but he gives us a choice. And the choice isn't get over it or don't get over it. The, the choice is to receive an invitation or to resent the invitation. And when we receive it, this whole wonder mystery of what God can do in us and through us and for us opens up. If I just demand that you, you better heal me now or else. And it's 100% right to pray that God will heal you. One, don't hesitate. He's a good father. He cares about his children. And then it's 100% necessary that we trust him regardless of the answer we receive. What I want to do this weekend is we want to do something a little bit different. So if you're a part of life groups or a part of any group here at Grace, you may be a little bit used to this. If you're not, join a life group so you can get used to this. But we would usually, in a life group setting, pray over each other. If you came in and said, my loved one is sick, or this is going on in my life, it's usually in that setting that we would pray for each other. And what we want to do this weekend is we want to do that in this setting. And so I want to invite you, if you would like to be prayed for, I've asked our elders to be here and some of our pastors to be here in the services today. And if you would like someone to pray for you, 
emotional things, mental illness, bodily illness. We want to do that. We want to love each other that way. And we're not trying to make a big show of it, so we're actually going to do something weird. I'm going to invite you in a minute to go backwards, not forwards. So if you would like somebody to pray for you, they're going to be in that back corner back there. And if you want to get up and go back there and let someone pray for you, share your burdens with them, pray for each other, the things that the Bible says, that we're just going to do the Bible right, right here real quick, right? Then I encourage you to, to get up as we're singing and make your way back there. And some of the elders, some of the pastors will be back there and we would love to pray over you in service today. Okay, I want to invite you to do that. Of course, you can just pray in your chair if you want to. And so some of us are in the middle of this and we need God's help and ask for that, encourage you to. Some of us, ready? Some of us may need to accept God's invitation. Because the only prayer we've prayed is God, get me out of this. Instead of God, walk me through it. Help me to glorify you, okay? So the band, the band's gonna sing this amazing song, incredible, i like in love with this prayer, this song. And as we sing it, if it resonates with you, then you worship and you praise God. If you would like somebody to pray for you, then you make your way to the back and, and some of the elders and pastors will meet you back there. We'd love to pray for you. And let's just be with God a little bit. Let's just pause and stop and be with him and ask them to be in these presence, okay? So the band will come up, and I'll pray. And when I am done, you're free to go back, okay? Jesus, love you. Thanks for loving us. Help us with this. Holy Spirit, guide us to the heart and the mind of Christ. Jesus, thank you that you do heal us spiritually. You heal us physically. Your power is at work in us. But we are here for you, to glorify you, to bring honor and praise and fame to you. And so God, as we walk through whatever path you lay down for us, would you give us wisdom and give us courage and give us strength to follow you? In these still moments as we interact with you and even as we, we pray with each other in the back, Holy Spirit, would you just affirm the comfort and the love and the hope that you give us in a powerful way. Thanks for being here in this moment, like you're with us always, Jesus. Work even now in your name, amen.